This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, Tank Girl, Miriam Joar. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joar, and today is Wednesday, November 21st, 2018. My guest is no other than Avi Greengart. Hi, Avi. How are you? Hello. I'm great. Thank you. Wonderful. So there's a bunch of phones I want to talk about primarily uh, today, uh, but I kind of, you know, you're an analyst, so I kind of want to have your analyst thoughts on a few things. Some topics I'm going to throw at you, you kind of already know, gaming phones, uh, Huawei's uh, upcoming dominance in the market, uh, things I want to discuss with you. Sure. But more specifically, looking at the show notes, I kind of want to talk about some of the news that's been out there this week there's lots of strong rumors of some sort of 10th anniversary phone from samsung 10th anniversary of the galaxy s which is their first like significant android phone um that would be kind of baller crazy like six cameras 5g 6.7 inch display i want to you know i want to hear your thoughts on what how likely do you think that is um, yeah, I think it's pretty likely that Samsung is going to try to do something a little different and a little bigger um, for its uh, 10th anniversary phone. Uh, not necessarily just because it's their 10th anniversary, uh, but also because their sales have been dropping and they're under a lot of competition, both from Apple, which has stayed steady while raising prices, um, and from some of the Chinese companies like Huawei, Xiaomi. Yeah. So where where do you see this kind of potentially going as as a you know as a phone user like you know where what what do you think likelihood of 5G on that phone because 5G is a big gamble right first of all what does it mean to have 5G on a phone is a big question it means millimeter wave or it means sub 6 and secondly if it's millimeter wave it's kind of a crazy proposition because you need a whole bunch of antenna arrays all over the phone and makes it bulky and ugly um if it's sub 6 nobody in the US is rolling out sub 6 anytime soon that we're aware of so is this for China? Is this for another part of the world? Is this even is this 5G even viable? Should they have a flagship 5G phone? Is that going to help their sales? You see see where I'm going? Yeah, that that's a lot. Um, so let's get let's get into it. Yeah. Um, so um, I do think that there's going to be a 5G variant uh, of these phones. I also think there's going to be a uh, regular 4G LTE version. Uh, and what we are going to see is at least the first round of 5G phones are going to be very specific, not just for geography, uh, not just there'll be one for China and there'll be one for Europe, but there'll also be very in distinct ones for different carriers in the United States. So these will, all, instead of today where you can buy phones that will work across uh, multiple carriers and in, across multiple geographies, um, the, the very first phones uh, that work on 5G will work on will be tuned for very specific 5G networks. And Are that we going means, back in time then? Is, is that <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying, right? Do you remember 4G? Thunderbolt only worked on Verizon, etc. I, I do, and and uh, and Sprint had its own technology. Never mind uh, frequency bands. Oh my God, WiMAX! I remember those days. That <laughs> so, was a mess. It took a few years yeah. to stabilize, but hey. Yeah, and I think it's going to take at least a year, uh, possibly two uh, or three, before it fully stabilizes this time around as well. Um, but what you're going to get. Um, even on those phones that let, let's say you get one that does millimeter um, and that's tuned for Verizon 
So it's going to work on Verizon Spectrum. It's going to work on Verizon's 5G network, um, which, as far as I could tell, will probably just work in a shoebox. Um, yeah, and because, I mean, just to be clear with the listeners, as far as we know, what we know so far is there's no way we're going to see anything but millimeter from Verizon next year. And it will be, as as Avi just said, literally, like, if your line of sight of the tower aka the whatever the the pico cell it's gonna have to be pico cells i don't think they can see i don't see them doing towers on this uh because it doesn't penetrate indoors so i can see this happening in malls airports something like that right and possibly in your office yeah um, right and, if they, in pub- and in lots and lots and lots of public spaces exactly um so they'll be putting these up and it doesn't necessarily need to be line of sight we I mean, did close, see though, right? we did I mean, see that well qualcomm just showed off um uh an antenna array that Verizon tested um, that allows you to do non-line of sight um, with. No, I know it's possible, but the degradation. uh, Yeah, but I mean, but but basically, yeah. The the when you're talking about millimeter wave, that that the signal propagation uh, of that technology is very, very short and very, very low. Um, So in all of those cases, there's going to be fallback to 4G LTE, uh, both on Verizon's network and Verizon's phones will almost always have, you know, other 4G LTE network capabilities. So you could bring it to Europe or even... No, of course, that's not going to change. Put it on T-Mobile. So it isn't... uh, So it's the 5G capability will be super specific, but the rest of the phone won't be. Right. So, so when we're coming, you know, coming back to Samsung, I think what we're going to end up with is some, possibly several. The rumors say they're going to be three, um, uh, Galaxy S10 variants, um, and then there'll be the version that will work on Verizon or the version that will work on T-Mobile. Right. What do you know of other carrier? plans for 5g i don't know much i know about verizon millimeter wave they're actually rolling out already for home use right now in some markets um but what do you think like replacing broadband basically what do you think of what do you know of what are the rumors you've heard of at&t timo and it doesn't matter sprint because they're going to get absorbed by by timo <laughs> anytime now anyway so um well um at&t is also doing millimeter um, okay t-mobile is actually doing 600 megahertz and just put out a press release saying that it works um, well, why so, not? That's sub six, huh? Hey, yeah, yeah. you know what? Actually, uh, I think that has way more potential to be fun, frank. Because here's the thing, right? To me, when I was when we were talking about this line of sight stuff earlier, what I I know I'm exaggerating, but the whole promise of millimeter wave is gigabit connectivity, right? Like we're getting like you're getting two gigabits to your phone, boom, a movie in three seconds, right? But <laughs> we'll the reality see if that is that happens. No, but that's my point. The reality is that will only happen if the phone is literally seeing the base station line of sight. And you're right, it'll still work because uh, Qualcomm and Voodoo and Magic and, and, you know, incantations from awesome engineers, it'll still work with waves bouncing off because they're using, you know, tuned arrays and and fancy, uh, you know, directional stuff. It's great. I know how it works. I'm just saying, like, to me, sub six seems to be like a more sure thing. Like, we might get close to a gigabit speed, you know, like LT on steroids as practical everyday use. Like basically when you are, you know, outdoors or even in your house and you were connecting to your, to, you know, downloading something, you're going to see a steady 800 megabits per second, 900 megabits per second that you cannot achieve today with LT even Cat 20 because that you'd have to be right next to the tower to get. And you can't achieve with millimeter reliably because again, shoebox, right? So I think I'm more excited about sub six 5G phones and, you know, as you just said, I myself have not heard much of rumors around 
sub six coming out other than Timo. Yeah. Well, the other the other one is um, um, in Europe. They're going to be using three three point five. So that's that might actually be a little better because six hundred um, megahertz. I don't think is and be. and T-Mobile's hoping to absorb Sprint, and Sprint is planning to put it out on on its two and a half G spectrum. So, oh, interesting. So the idea is, and this is what T-Mobile has been pitching regulators, uh, is that you let us merge, and then you'll get the best of both worlds. <laughs> that's such a scam. <laughs> You know well, it, right? well, from a, from a uh, from a network perspective, it's it's uh, it's no, actually it a reasonable. It's actually a reasonable. I know, but from a marketing perspective, every time we've heard that, it was a disaster. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I was actually just uh, editing a report of one of my peers, and we were we were, she was uh, writing about um, giving advice to you know, Verizon that they they're going to have to AT and T and Verizon are going to have to market this properly and explain you know when you're going to get 5G and when you're not uh, because if they don't T-Mobile will point it out for them gleefully <laughs> I can just, yeah, it'll be really I can interesting. just I can just see John Ledger um, ha- having fun with the the difference between um, uh, being able to see a 5G signal and and not, even though there are advantages to to millimeter. You know, I love John. We're we're pretty tight, but we, I have a bit of a beef with him about the fact that I've been telling him for months now to build a, a base station near my house in Portland, the, <laughs> because I have one near my house in San Francisco. As you know, this is a running joke, by the way, Avi. As you know, uh, all those carriers when I worked at Engadget built towers near my house because they saw my complaints all the time. So this is actually not true, but it's kind of very interesting that throughout my tenure at Engadget, signal and performance of networks increased drastically on all four major networks near my house somehow, yeah. magically. And so yeah, I've been joking with John, I, 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 telling had, him I've he had, needs I've to do this in Portland their well. antennas to my house too. Yeah, he. I told I told Johnny needs to do this in Portland because I have abysmal performance for T-Mobile, which is my main carrier in Portland at my house. So I have a, a T-Mobile uh, cell spot, which you know creates an LT, a really high quality LT signal from my fiber connection, uh, my internet, and and so it works really great. But I'm like, come on, like seriously, like you're gonna. You know, you keep knocking these other carriers, but there are markets that are pretty significant in which you still haven't fixed uh, 4G performance. LTE performance. So come on, right? <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. So uh, back to the Samsung thing. So obviously the six cameras, 6.7 inch screen, I can totally see that happening. You know, build an edge to edge display that has basically zero bezel. You can get to 6.7 inches on the form factor of the Note 9. And and six cameras, bah, whatever. I mean, it's two in the front, three in the front, three in the back, whatever. Like that's not a problem. That's going to happen. No big deal. I mean, the Galaxy A9 has four cameras in the back and one in the front already. There's rumors of that Nokia 9 with five cameras in the back, one in the front. We've got, you know, what is it? The V40 with uh, three in the back and one in the front. And, you know, I mean, whatever. That's totally that, par for the course. The V40 is five. It's two in the oh, front. Oh, that's right. Right. Back. It's two in the front. I keep forgetting that. There you go. See, we got the five. We're at five already. So yes, we are at five. It's very much like the Razor Wars. Yeah. But you know what's interesting, actually? You know, do they count depth sensing cameras for face authentication? Because here's the thing for me. The thing that's really missing from Android phones right now, and and I thought the Mate 20 Pro was going to fix this, uh, but it doesn't, is the Mate 20 Pro along with the Oppo Find X are the only two phones at Android that I'm aware of right now that uh, support pro- like proper depth sensing, you know, projecting an array of dots or lines and doing like a, you know, connect type thing to get a really accurate 3D model of your face. 
for unlocking the phone. Like the Face ID from Apple. They're the only two Android phones. And get this, you cannot do a payment with that authentication. So if you unlock your Mate 20 Pro with your face, even though it's secure in 3D and high quality, it will not enable you to do a payment on Google Pay unless you actually either type your PIN or use the fingerprint to unlock. So they're not actually, you know, I, I don't know what, like what I was really hoping with the Pixel 3, especially when we saw that gigantic notch in the front and the <laughs> dual cameras in the front, that is that finally Google and Android was going to support proper facial authentication that works for payments. So that you have the choice. You can unlock with your fingerprint, with your face, with your code, and you can tap the thing, the terminal, and pay. Sadly, that's not the case. Do you think Samsung might be the first company, and that's why we're talking about six cameras, because maybe they're counting three cameras in the front for the depth sensing, that they might be the first to do this properly? They could be. I mean, I, but you have to keep in mind that when Apple launches new products with new capabilities like Face ID, it seems like, oh, you know, they introduced it and now it's here. But they've actually been working on this literally for years. I know. And so when. Uh, rivals want to compete and want to offer the same thing. They, it, it's going to take them years to build it too. Obviously, Apple's shown them a, a rough way of of getting there. Sometimes there are IP barriers too. Like <laughs> Apple's patented yeah, right, the right. best way of doing it. Um, you have to find some other way of doing it. Um, but um, there's a reason why you know it's you know. We sometimes see fast followers, but the fast followers aren't implementing it the same way. Or, but I think this well. is not a technical limitation, Avi. As in, if I put my engineer hat on, there's no difference here. What I think the big limitation is, and this I think why it's not happening, and I'm wondering if Samsung can solve, is this requires a cooperation with Google, which is why I was really surprised because May 20 Pro at the announcement in London where I was, Google was on stage. They talked. They obviously are working together very closely. So I, what Google needs to enable at the OS level, a secure enclave that supports face authentication. And they haven't done that yet because they have a secure enclave for fingerprint authentication, which every Android phone uses for payment. So I'm thinking this is the issue. It's not really a technical issue as much as a supporting the US and how do you implement a secure way of um, Google Pay getting authenticated uh, yes, this is the right person, the right face, instead of getting that from the fingerprint, getting that from the camera system. You know what I'm saying? Well, I mean, you say that it's not a technical issue, but what if Google thinks that it is? Um, well, Google you know, might not think they want to support that. Yeah, that's the whole or thing. Or they may, they may be willing to support it once it it hits a certain level of of security that it's not at today. Right. In possible. those particular implement, implementations. Correct. Apple Apple thinks that its version is secure enough for payment. Um, perhaps Google Pay, the, the Google Pay engineers, don't think that the implementations that we've seen from Huawei, um, and who was it? Uh, Oppo. Oppo? Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I haven't gotten that particular phone in yet. Neither um, have I. It's, <laughs> it's almost impossible to get. I am definitely talking to PR about it. They know I want one. Um, and they have basically told me, we love you, Miriam, but we don't have enough to go around, number one. Number two, we, you want, we want to give you a global model. And those right. are even harder to come by because we want to give you Google Play services. And I'm like, I, I respect that very much. Thank you. You know, Yeah, we'll see what happens. Uh, most of the reviews, by the way, you see out there at the Oppo Find X today are not the global version. They're the Chinese version. Yep. So moving on, uh, I, I mean, it's a good discussion. I think 
I absolutely agree that we're going to see a Tencent Android 3 phone. I think it's going to be pretty amazing. I mean, this is this is Samsung. They have to do something to get their sales up and their mind share up again. Right now, I mean, everybody kind of loves Samsung. I think globally, the media, everybody feels pretty warm and fuzzy about them, but not in this excited, wow, we really are looking forward to the next thing way. More like, eh, yeah, well, evolution, well, well, iteration. Well, you know, right, well, you know what it was? It was that Samsung was actually well out ahead of most of these design trends. And we got all excited when Infinity Displays hit three years ago um, and everyone was w was complaining that Apple's phones all look the same and when Apple launched the iPhone 10 uh, that was a sea change in what iPhones looked like uh, finally but, but, but <laughs> final fine um, but then you looked at the the Samsung Galaxy phones and they already had a modern design. But given that it had been out for a year or two, and now it's a year or two later, um, we're starting to think that some of these other designs from other companies uh, look fresher. And consumers are hanging on to their phones a lot longer. And when they do that, they, they're not, they don't feel the need to upgrade unless it's something uh, feels like a major upgrade or their phone dies. And... Yeah, the iPhone 10 really felt like a major upgrade for iOS users. I mean, I uh, bought one. The the latest Galaxy S phone did not feel like a major upgrade from previous versions. So, Samsung knows that it has to to make a major upgrade and not just the folding flexible phone, which even Samsung is sure isn't going is going to sell um in at, at least in its first iteration. Um so yeah. their their mainstream flagship phone has to sell. And yeah, I agree. so yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do. Me too because I I, I totally agree. So many people have talked to have stuck with their Galaxy S8, S8 Plus, because they're like, you know what? It's, sure, the S9 is a better phone by all measurable means, but it's not enough of a better phone for me to really give it up. And if you put them side by side, you'll see why. I mean, they're almost identical looking. As you said, I think design has a lot to do with it. And Apple certainly redefined what that means, considering how many Android phones have notches now. And some of them really ugly notches. Hello, Google. <laughs> um, but, um, you know. This is true. Oh, man. <laughs> I still can't get over it, even though I have one in my pocket as my daily driver. I mean, it's just like, wow, seriously. But speaking of, of interesting form factors, um, I'm going to skip a little ahead here in, um, in, the, uh, in, the, uh, in the notes. But um, I want to talk about gaming phones a little bit. You mentioned while we were talking the Razer phone and I mentioned the ROG phone. The reason I mentioned the ROG phone is I just received one to review. I just unboxed it. I'll put a link to the video in the show notes. Uh, check it out. That box is crazy. Like, I love how gaming stuff is always so over the top. I, I worked in video games as a developer for many years and I can relate um, and I kind of like it. But that ROG phone, what I love about it is that it looks really different and unique, but it still doesn't look too much of a gaming phone like you could see yourself rocking that as a high-end flagship every day whereas to me the razor really feels like boxy masculine you know like really like intended to be a gaming phone um what what do you think is the general what do you think of this gaming phone trend well i mean there, there are a couple of things to unpack there one is that i don't think that the razor phone looks like a gaming phone um, when you talk to you know the, the pc gaming companies like razor uh, typically they put all sorts of bells and whistles i have a gaming keyboard that 
that yeah, watches I know. Yeah. 16 million colors and, and gives you seizures. Um, and w whenever I talk to you know, the folks at Alienware or, or, or whomever, and I say, you know, why are your cases so garish? The answer we get back is... Teenagers? <laughs> no, I, I don't even know that it's the teenagers who are buying this. I think this is the aesthetic that is expected in this category. And I've been told that every time they've tried a more sedate version, it doesn't sell. Right. Um, and, and there are gaming phones out there that are, you know, even more dramatic, although the, the you can change the color of the, the logo on the uh, on the new Razer phone. Um, I think that uh, it's an interesting trend. Um, the idea is sound from a marketing perspective that there, this is a mature category. When you have a mature category, you start segmenting the market and finding yeah. uh, and finding places where you can find margin or or, or unique use cases. Um, and that hasn't really happened with phones yet. Uh, and so it makes a lot of sense to experiment. Uh, the most successful experiment that I've seen so far, and this is not based on sales figures yet because they haven't released them, but Honor's Play uh, that was just yeah. launched. At, oh, at yeah, Eva. I have one. It's a great little phone. Yeah, it's a great little phone. I have one, too. It, uh, it It's a phone that is being marketed to gamers, but... It doesn't look like a gaming. It doesn't look like a gaming phone, but more importantly, it they didn't have to do anything crazy to it to make it a uh, a gaming phone. Therefore, they could hit a lower price point. Therefore, th it has a bigger chance of success than some of these high end gaming phones with 120 hertz refresh displays, mm -hmm. like the the Razer. Um, my understanding is that the, the that first Razer phone sold tens of thousands of units. Um, and on the one hand, you know, if this was a Kickstarter, hey, you did Great. really well. <laughs> um, if this is a product but, competing against Xiaomi, Samsung, or Apple, yeah, but Avi, it's a drop in the bucket. How many laptops do you think Razer sells every year? Do you have numbers on that? Because you're an analyst. No, I don't. I, we don't, okay. I don't. I don't actually track that. The, you know, that's but it can't be much numbers. more than tens of thousands. I don't see them sending maybe a hundred thousand laptops. But the 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 thing is that right, and so that's why they're comfortable with these numbers, yeah, and they're actually they following it up with with a second phone. the The question is, okay, but what are the profit margins? Because if you can make a twenty five percent profit margin on a high end gaming laptop, then you're in business. And right. uh, it's not clear to me that you can hit the same margins on a gaming phone sold in such low volumes. We'll see. We'll, we'll see how, how they do. Um, yeah, the, the most intriguing part about the Razer Phone 2, the second version, to me is that at and is going to be picking it up and they're going to yeah. offer it. And, yeah. and that means that you know, people who didn't know that this product existed um, will possibly, <laughs> possibly see it for the first time. Absolutely. On, on shelves in the place where U.S. consumers buy, because U.S. Absolutely. consumers really generally don't buy. I know. Uh, I just don't understand it. Unlocked. It's just it just drives me crazy. It's like how, like seriously, like Amazon. Just go to Amazon, buy a phone. Okay, like don't don't go to the carrier and buy a phone. <laughs> so you're gonna say, is that is that a good segue for uh, OnePlus? <laughs> yeah, let's go there in a second. I just want to make a few comments about the gaming stuff. Um, oh yeah, sure. Uh, the raw the reason I brought up the kind of more masculine boxy looking I personally like the Razer phone the way it looks I just like if I show people the ROG phone next to the Razer phone they really love the ROG phone because they can see themselves no matter what their demographic is still using it as a phone whereas a lot of people are like it's too big the Razer it's too boxy um, there's not enough screen to body ratio right um, 
or, or rather, rather, there's a lot of bezel. Um, whereas the you'll see if you ever look at a rock phone, look at my unboxing. That thing looks like a gaming phone, but doesn't look completely outrageous. And it would it involves the same form factor as like a Pixel Three XL. Most importantly. What I think is significant about the ROC phone, even though it's not going to be in AT&T phones and uh, t stores, which, by the way, I think is even more significant than anything that we discussed about gaming phones, because, as you said, carrier stores drive the market. Uh, but the ROC phone, to me, is kind of can be a lost leader in a way. It can be the Halo phone because it's got a hand-picked Snapdragon 845. They only pick the best tiers that are benchmarked on the bench. Only the I, best silicon the best. for you. And the thing has 512 gigs of storage. So the, the point I'm making, though, is it's not a cheap phone, but it's beautifully made. And it's made by Asus. ROG is Asus. Public of Gamers. So that means that it's, it's a lost leader for them. They, uh, you know, Asus sells tons of laptops and phones in Asia all the time. You know, uh, they're like one of the biggest brands in 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 like Taiwan and uh, kind of replacing HTC there a little bit. And and like, I mean, the point is that they can afford to not necessarily sell a lot of those. And so I like that because I like the niche, nicheification, I guess, of smartphone markets. I like the idea that as the smartphone becomes a commodity, we get to have special phones. Uh, phones like the, the BlackBerry Key 2, which has a keyboard. Phones like, you know, gaming phones, etc. And, and But I do agree with you that there's also something to be said about the Honor Play, which is basically cheaper and and uh, achieves its gaming chops by having a really high-quality display processor and speakers and then kind of tones down everything else to keep the cost affordable. But it's also made by Honor, which is Huawei brand. And Huawei has so much money and so many models that they don't care if they don't sell any Honor Plays, right? Pretty much. But I think they actually will sell Honor Plays. Oh, and <laughs> that's my point. They don't care, but they will. Um, so I think it's an interesting market. And... Uh, I'm kind of honestly excited to use, I'm, I'm going to purely use the ROG phone as a daily driver phone too, because I want to see how much difference does it make to have the best components in a really expensive phone compared to say a OnePlus 6T or a Galaxy S9 or a Pixel 3 XL. And that's my segue, my friend. Okay. Yes. So Purple OnePlus 6T was announced last week. It's official. I, I received one while I was in Taiwan. I was in Taiwan last week for MediaTek. Uh, they showed us around their campus and uh, interesting stuff. You check out last week's podcast about that. Um, and so I just reviewed it. It's about to be published on geekspin.co. Uh, you know, I write for Geekspin. Uh, do, you remember, do you know Elena? Yeah. Yeah, Elena used to uh, be the editor-in-chief of Chip Chick, and uh, she now is the editor-in-chief of Geekspin. And so I write for her from time to time. And so expect my, my, my review. I'll give you a preview. I'm sure by the time you get this podcast in your podcast app, listeners, the review will be published. But my takeaway is this is amazing phone for the money. You cannot go wrong by this thing. It's super fast. Definitely if you want speed, this is the phone. Um, but honestly, right now, Black Friday, you can get a OnePlus 6 for $429, $100 off on the base model, 6 gigabyte, 64 gigs of storage. And I don't know if you want to bother going with a OnePlus 6T when you can get the 6 for that kind of money, because performance-wise, they're identical. All the improvements in the camera are getting backdated to the 6 because they have identical camera modules. And the only thing you lose from going to a OnePlus 6 in the case of the entry-level model is storage and RAM. 6 gig and 64 versus uh, up to 8 gig and 256 on the 6T. But you can also get a 6 with those numbers. So, uh, And then, of course, battery. 
3700 on the 6T versus 3300 on the 6. But honestly, the 6 was a really solid one-day battery life type proposition. So the 6T will hold you over a little longer. But then the there are six drawbacks. Also has a, the 6 also has a uh, headphone exactly. jack. There are drawbacks to the 6T. No headphone jack, no notification LED. And frankly, as much as the in-display fingerprint sensor is kind of wow and kind of oh my god, um, it is kind of finicky. It's slower. It's not as consistent. It's it's still not like frustrating to use, but it's definitely not as fast as the back fingerprint reader on the 6 is. And so I think, you know, both phones are good candidates. And it's funny to me that the, the main competitor to the 6T really is the 6, particularly during this holiday season. Yeah, I mean, I I have both the 6 in a couple of colors and the 6T. I did not get mine in purple. Um, you should ask. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, um, yeah, the, the fingerprint reader, it's a, it's almost a gimmick because right? what was wrong with having it on the back? I actually like it better because, you know, I put my hand in my pocket and my finger touches the fingerprint reader. And by the time it's out of my pocket, it's unlocked. No, I mean, I understand why the designers are moving to notch the display so that you can put cameras up front and extend the screen. Um, in Apple's case, it's really more about Face ID than anything else. Right. Um, the, and the, the ease of unlocking a device using Face ID is fantastic. So uh, I'm all for that. Um, and, and I don't mind having an in-screen fingerprint reader, but it's not necessarily that much better than having the fingerprint reader on the back and it is slower. It is so slow. it, I think, it really, I think I guess it really depends on whether you're um what's faster for you. Um if it's faster for you to find the fingerprint reader on the front than it is to find it on the back, then the slight delay in unlocking um is is is, is you're still going to end up faster with it on the front. Uh, but if as you seem to indicate in your case you seem to find the the rear one faster so yeah, no, I look, I agree with you. I think it's this kind of academic discussion. But if you want to save money today, this week, I mean, buy yourself a OnePlus 6 original, even if you get a mid-level SKU because they're on sale and you're getting the same phone. The only thing you give up is battery and you gain back the headphone jack and the notification LED, which to me are both two things I really like. And um, yeah, I mean, look, the 6T is a great phone. The purple is super awesome looking. Check out my I, unboxing video. I will link I it in the show that, notes. I just wish that the purple that they'd used was a more magenta because or, or, that could have been a, a T-Mobile exclusive. It would have been perfect. Yeah, and I, oh, I absolutely. I, the, from the day they announced the T-Mobile partnership, I thought magenta would be great. But I think what's also bizarre about the purple is that it's a gradient and it's not a gradient like we've seen on like Huawei Mate 20 Pro, you know, where it can, it's got that, sh that uh, you know, goes from one color to another and it's really shimmery. This almost feels like an automotive paint job. It doesn't feel like glass anymore. It doesn't look like glass. We know it's glass, but it's like interesting that they went for like this purple, darker purple to kind of like a black, black almost, right? And if you look at, I don't know if you've, you had, you don't have one, but if, when you pick one up, when you see one in person next, Pay attention to this, Avi. The interesting thing about it is that the SIM tray on the left-hand side and the, the mute slider on the right-hand side are... The, you can tell they've saved money because those parts are still black. Mm. Because of the way the gradient works. But the power lock key and the volume rocker are all full purple. So the, the transition happens in that area. And so they've managed to make it work by basically only repainting the buttons and not having to repaint the SIM tray and or the um, 
the the mute slider. But what's have, done? Have you gotten is, an Have you gotten a, a, an iPhone ten R uh, in product red? Not yet. Um, the the axle the SIM tray is actually the same color aluminum. It's oh wow! It, it's pretty impressive attention to detail. Yeah, no, that's what I think is actually interesting about this is that even though it's you know looks like an, an automotive grade paint finish on glass, it you know it's still like a metal finish. It's glass, not metal. But then they did continue and match the color on the edges on the aluminum, which is kind of impressive, but it's not the full phone. And it's really interesting how they did that. Um, but look, you know, OnePlus 60 is great. Check out my review. I'll link into the show notes. I'll link my unboxing of the purple in the show notes. You can't go wrong with that phone, but in my opinion, you might even be better off unless battery life is absolutely critical to you to get, a, or being on T-Mobile because you can get the discounts or family line deals, whatever. Um, or you need to be on Verizon because the 60 is officially supported on Verizon. Only LTE, no CDMA legacy here. But, but that's, that's a big okay. deal. That's a big deal. So that, these are the okay. only yeah. three reasons that I would pick a 6T over the 6 at this point. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, listen, um, there's one more, well, one more big thing I want to discuss. Um, and, oh, I... I want to. I know I'm going back in time, but that's what the podcast is like. It's lots of tangents. I love it. Uh, <laughs> I want to mention about Razer. <laughs> this is an ongoing thing, Avi. You're gonna love this. Last year, I requested a Razer review unit, and they didn't send me one. And I kept requesting it for the first, like in the fall and the winter, and they didn't send me one. And I kind of gave up after CS. Maybe after I may maybe have maybe I hassled them all the way to MWC, but I gave up because eventually it wasn't user worthy anymore. Right? Well. I hate to say this, dear listeners, but it's happening again. I have requested a Razer 2 review unit, and I have not succeeded in getting it from anyone. Uh, AT&T says they don't have any to send, uh, and Razer's giving me kind of the cold shoulder. They're replying to my emails randomly every now and then, but it's always the same. We don't have enough to go around. Now, look, I believe them. It's possible they don't have enough to go around. I'm wanting to believe them, but I'm kind of annoyed because it's a second year in a row that clearly I'm probably not going to get one to play with. So if anybody out there is listening and has some connections at Razer, can you pull some strings for me? I want to be able to talk about it authoritatively, not just hypothetically by touching it five minutes from somebody else. I played with, I think yours it was at the uh, OnePlus event, right, Avi? No, you're playing with my uh, Red Hydrogen. Oh, was the, yeah, let's talk about that, actually. Sure. What do you think of that? I mean, I think it's a crazy phone. It's kind of a terrible phone. Yeah, a terrible crazy phone. The, um, I mean, the if it was four hundred dollars, um, we might, and I just mean might, be having a different conversation. Right. Um, and if it was from a different brand, we might be having a different conversation. But there are a couple things that you would expect when you get something from Red. Um, for your listeners who don't know, Red makes extremely high-end video, digital video cameras that are used to make Hollywood films, among other right. things. We're talking um, crazy expensive, crazy right. high-end. $80,000, $150,000. They're all modular. Um, the directors and cinematographers who use them love them. Um, and there is a bit of a cult following around this brand. When they said they were going to do a phone, particularly one with pogo pins, kind of like a moto mod, uh, where you would theoretically be able to add on a even higher end um, camera module and or use it as a display for your red cinematography rig, people were really excited about and it. And rightfully so, honestly. Yeah, of course, none of that actually happened. So <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> so the phone that we have doesn't have any any add-ons, and you would 
really have to be crazy to buy a phone today, hoping that at some point um, a modular accessory shows up for it. When we've seen that even the phones that have done modular accessories like Motorola and Essential um, have not have not really shaken up the world all that much. Not to uh, mention Snapdragon 835. Right. It's using an older processor, which is fine, um, except, again, it's $1,300. But look, it's fine now. But if we talk this conversation in a month, when who knows what Qualcomm will announce next, that might not be fine anymore. Yeah. Um, but the bigger issue for me is that the whole reason to get this phone is for the display. And there was a lot of secrecy around the display. It's a Leia holog holographic um, uh, display, but in the it's end, it's not an Evo 3D. It, it it's a little bit better than an Evo 3D. I actually pulled my Evo 3D out of storage, um, but it's not that much better than an Evo 3D. That's what I'm saying. It's like, actually, in fact, a lot of people are complaining that in just everyday displaying of things, like when the, you want to try to be productive on your phone, it doesn't even come close to rivaling like Pixel 3 XL or Galaxy S9 or, or no, iPhone there, X. No, there's a lot of light leakage from the uh, 3D-ness that's hiding behind the main screen. Right. Uh, and so the, the pixel structure, even on a, on a regular 2D mode, which is what you're going to use the phone in most of the time, uh, is not as good. Um, it's, it's, the display is not great. Um, it's not great in 2D mode, um, and it's really not great in 3D mode. The one thing that I will say for it is the first time I show it to people, and only the first time, but the first time I show it to people, there's this collective gasp. It's like, yeah. wow. I mean, uh, it's beautifully manufactured, right? It's it's up to red standards. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's the other thing is that this, this phone is gigantic. You can kill someone with this phone. Uh, it's really heavy. It's solid. And it has these ridges along the edge that look like brass knuckles. And you, you think that this phone is, you're not going to be able to hold it. But surprisingly, those ridges on the ends which are made of like hard plastic, not aluminum, um, they actually make the phone grippy. And so even though it's huge and heavy, you're not going to drop it. But if you do drop it, you're going to break a toe. <laughs> yeah, before you break the phone. Um, yeah, look, I, I don't know. I, I, everything you said, basically, I second it. I, I, I don't have one. You have one. So you even have a better perspective. I, I, I don't know. I just... I can't digest the price. I can't digest the specs. And 3D, it, it, I thought I was expecting something else. You know, they kept talking about holograms and that's not what we're getting. We're, we're getting an Evo 3D plus, like in terms of what it can capture and reproduce. And nobody gives an F about that, frankly. I don't think the consumers care. I don't think even the cinematographers care right now. You know, I, I don't know what they were thinking. Well, the, the bigger question is, what was AT&T and Verizon thinking? Oh my um, God. And when did they sign on to, to offer this phone? Because there are all kinds of phones they could offer that I'd like to see them offer. Um, well, that... the carriers have a track record for being idiots, so I'm not too surprised, frankly. I mean, I don't know who does their product analysis over there, but they're insane. <laughs> well, some of, uh, you know, look, if, if, you, if you ask AT&T, why do you offer phones that you know, I can tell you in advance, and I do, um, are not going to, you know, go mainstream um, or even necessarily sell at all. Um, and sometimes the response is we simply want to offer our clients variety. And there is a, you know, again, if you put yourself in the shoes of, of an AT&T or a Verizon or T-Mobile, um, at a certain point, 
you're only selling Apple and Samsung phones. Yeah. That's a problem for you. That is a problem. Your, your supplier agree. base is very, very limited. But here's what I'm going to say. Apple and Samsung can do whatever they want. Yeah, but here's what I'm going to say, Avi. Why didn't anybody pick up OnePlus before now? And why is it only Timo? Anybody so, with a brain by this time would have said, OnePlus, we need to get OnePlus. OnePlus is, is our third player here. Or... Or Huawei, which or was Huawei. supposed well, that's, to be. That's not going to happen, right? Politics? Not anymore. But at the beginning of this year, it looked like Huawei might, was yeah. going to be get distribution at both Verizon and AT&T. And, and that, that would make sense because Huawei is kind of incredible, honestly. It's on, on, on an incredible kick with their products right now. Speaking of, let's, let's actually move it into that. Huawei... Like there's a CNBC article I saw, Huawei aims to overtake Samsung as number one smartphone player by 2020. You're an analyst. What do you think of that? Um, I think it's reasonable, but I think BBK gets there first. Oh, really? So you think, ah, you think Oppo, Vivo, OnePlus gets there first, huh? Yeah, because they're, they're on track. Yeah, I think you're right, especially with OnePlus with Timo. Wow, I don't know that that's actually. I don't know that that's actually going to drive the volumes that. Vivo no, no, but it's it's a, it, you know they have an yeah. in with the carriers now in a way, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Uh, I want to see. Look, I just got two two phones uh, recently that are not sold in. They're the Asian phones. They're not Chinese phones, so they have Google Play services. I got a an Oppo A3, which is a MediaTek based phone that the folks at MediaTek said, "Here, try this. Try try our kind of flagship chip right now." And I was like, I'm pretty impressed for $200, to be honest with you. Uh, and then I got a Vivo V11, which is a Qualcomm-based phone. Um, and that one is basically take a OnePlus 6T and bring it down to $350 in price. Because it it's a mid-range Snapdragon 660, but it has in-display fingerprint reader, teardrop notch, uh, and everything else that you expect. And, and a headphone jack, which is nice, uh, for $350. and uh, I have to say, you know, these are, other than the horrible Android skins on these, they're pretty damn good hardware. You call them horrible, but some of the Chinese uh, consumers actually like them. because Yeah, but we're not in China. Well, I understand that. So, um, but I mean, that's, I, but, I understand but that's, they love and them. I but. Think, but I think that's, that's one of the key problems that some of these brands have, is that they design first for China, um, and then they look to export. And that's held them back. The exception really is OnePlus because OnePlus has always had this ethos of we're gonna we're gonna keep our software as minimal as possible. Uh, and if you want to consider HMD um, a Chinese company, it's sort of a Chinese company. It's also sort of a Finnish company. Um, they also have prioritized you know keeping the software as simple as possible. And in their case. Uh, they just go with Google stock. With, yeah, uh, well, Android Google One, one uh, Android One is what they're what Nokia is yeah. doing. So yeah, be, uh, just you know, HMD is Nokia. In case you don't know, uh, but but here's the thing that's interesting to me is that I've been saying for a while. I, this is my strategy. If I was running Honor in the U.S., like head of marketing or something, I, this is what I would do. And I've been telling them this uh, openly. I would, um, you know. Be, since it's even though it's separate from Huawei marketing wise, it's still part of the Huawei global group. And Huawei right now does not have much of a land to stand on in the US other than their laptop line, right? Um, and the laptop line is actually pretty, pretty well uh, rated. It's um, great. I have it's, the, they're the, really, I mean, the, I love the them, but I'm just X saying Pro that. Is fantastic. Not, I know we all love them, but I'm saying even in general, consumers really like them. And there's, you know, they're relatively easy to find Amazon, other places. Um, but I'm saying other than that brand, 
for phones, it's a kind of a hard sell to have a Huawei phone in the U.S. right now. So here's what I think I would I would do until the political climate gets better, hopefully one day. Um, I would sell the Honor phones in the U.S. with Qualcomm chips and Android One. Because that way, nobody can point fingers saying you're spying on us. Because the chips are made by Qualcomm, the U.S. is pure Google. And, you know, what's the chance of... Like you're minimizing the chance of finger pointing, and well, honestly, I Miriam, feel well, like the Honor phones are good enough today to be at the price points that they sell to to really entice and to really compete with OnePlus. Honestly, but you've just described ZTE, and ZTE still gets politicians. I don't know of any phones from ZTE that's Android One. I don't know of any phones from ZTE that there's are an, compete, there's an Android. That comp- there's an Android Go. No, I'm not um, talking about phone. Android Go. I'm talking about Android One. Think of Nokia here. I'm talking higher end, mid range. I'm talking about something that compete with OnePlus 6T. Huh. That's I what understand. I'm about. I understand that, but even even their even ZTE's non-Android Go phones were pretty close to Android One. They they were they were fairly close to stock Android to begin with. They were running Qualcomm chips, um, and they got caught in the whole ZTE Huawei issue. Um, That's true. That said. Uh, I've made a very similar recommendation in a report I wrote, I don't know, six months ago, a year ago, um, where as soon as the the political will um, to allow Huawei to have any sort of traction in the U.S. came down, um, I wrote a report about how uh, what Huawei ought to be doing is, first of all, you know, use the Honor brand, not Huawei. Exactly, that's what I'm it, saying. Because as simple a switch as that um, is could be meaningful, but also to you know to separate out um, its hardware, its consumer hardware, from its infrastructure business. Of course. Um, and if it does that, um, you're you're a different company. And now, uh, I would I would even say enlist that on on a Western stock exchange in in New York or in London. Uh, and now you're a different company, and you can still benefit from some from some of the same economies of scale. Um, Absolutely. And on the back end, one of the reasons they haven't done this is because when Huawei goes into a country and sells them infrastructure, whether it's 4G infrastructure or 5G infrastructure, they they will also package a deal with the carriers that that you if you sell these Huawei phones, you know you you get a big package discount. So you know so Huawei is pretty good about leveraging its infrastructure and its consumer products business together outside the U.S. But inside the U.S., infrastructure is a no-go and probably will never be a go. Exactly. Um, And the consumer devices, especially the ones that are based on Windows or based on Android, um, ought to be able to compete uh, with everyone else. But at the moment, they're not. Absolutely. No, I look, I agree with you. I think I, I, I really think Honor has got some thinking to do. And every time I meet their folks, they're just too close to China. You know, I meet their head of marketing and, you know, they don't have that perspective. And I'm like, you need to hire some Americans here. Like, I don't care. Like, and I know that's a tough sell for Chinese, big Chinese companies, but yeah. Look, and, and right now they're, they're focused on Europe because they're actually getting traction there. Right. So. They're doing really well in Europe. Absolutely. But look, look, OnePlus did well. They, they hired, uh, uh, you know, uh, person in marketing that is an American but is really well connected and knows Chinese and all that and it worked for them right yep. um, so there you go um, switching topics a bit before we run out of time I want to talk about the Palm phone because <laughs> I just got one I just got one I, it's my so unboxing cute. video is, is live it's going to be in the show notes below so you're going to see three unboxing videos down there 
Check them out. It is so cute and so adorable and so awesome, yet so frustrating. Oh, yeah, I, I, I mean, it's it's the cutest thing you've ever seen. It looks like a baby iPhone. It is um, gorgeously cute. I, um, I, I, I hesitated writing about it until I actually got a chance to use it for uh, mm-hmm. a couple of weeks. And what's your take? Until you do. My take on it is that it's an extremely attractive idea, but the execution is really is lacking. Yeah, I think their marketing execution is, is in some ways great, in some ways horrible. And the horrible part is the whole tie-in with Verizon companion device aspect. Well, it doesn't work as a primary phone. It doesn't work as a primary phone, and I'm going to get to that in a second, but it should, and it could, if only they made the right changes, and this whole idea of a companion device is completely flawed, in my opinion. Well... And this is from uh, somebody who likes smartwatches and has well, worked for a smartwatch company. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the smartwatch comparison is, is extremely apt, because um, the use case that, that Palm and Verizon are pitching for the Palm phone um, it are basically the same things that you can get out of your a good smartwatch. Correct. Um, the 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 problem is we don't necessarily fully have good smartwatches when it comes to all the apps that people want to use, but it's pretty we're we're pretty close on on with Apple. We're pretty far still um, with uh, with the other platforms. Samsung is probably closest, um, but um, but the idea that we shouldn't always be connected, um, that's an extremely compelling idea. Absolutely, um, but that's um, not the product for it. Yeah, I mean, the the other approaches that we've seen, particularly in Europe, of getting a, a feature phone, even a high-end feature phone, um, and and using that as your secondary phone and moving your SIM card over. Moving the SIM card over is uh, is something of a challenge especially for u.s consumers who don't know they have a sim card to begin with idiots um, <laughs> but um, sorry but i mean my audience uh, knows that what a sim card yeah, is your audience does um their parents don't um but um uh, but the you know the, the bigger the bigger challenge is that there's always some app you need that's not available on that feature phone, whether it's Uber or Lyft, because totally. you you want you need that, um, or um, or in my case, it's Google Voice, um, because as an you know, I'm constantly switching phones, so Google Voice yep, manages totally. one number. Yep. Um, so there's always going to be some app. So making it based on stock uh, on uh, not stock, but making it making it based on Android um, makes a lot of sense and solves a lot of problems. Um, it, however, introduces a whole new set of problems and that is that none of the apps are optimized for a teeny teeny tiny display um yeah the way that a good smartwatch app is designed for the use case mm-hmm. and so the only thing about it that has been designed for the size um is this is the the mode that turns everything off, um, mm-hmm. which I, fi- I find life mode, life mode, um, which um, I find fancy act- do not disturb mode. Yeah, and I find it. find it actually defeats the purpose. It completely only, kills it, right? If you're if you're carrying a small phone because you want to be notified in case of an emergency, um, you need that phone to ring during right. an emergency. I, I mean, I'm sorry, but my Pixel Three XL has do not disturb on it. It works fantastically well, especially since I only let starred numbers go through. So then. Yeah, and then the other the other uh, thing that they actually did, I thought a decent job on, is the uh, app user interface. 
um, where you know, the launcher? Sort of, so yeah, yeah this is the launcher, the carousel. Um, given how small, I mean, people don't realize it is it so looks, tiny. I cannot looks, read the status bar most of the time. Yeah, I'm I'm too old to to see no, me the too. screen. Even um, with my reading glasses, I'm squinting, going like, "What does it say? Does so, it say I have a C? Does that say 4G up there? I don't know." I mean, the biggest problem that I actually had was that it defaults to the largest text size, and the largest text size is still way too small. Too I, know. Small. I know. It's insane. <laughs> um, um, and so, uh, you know, it, it, you know, it's adorable, um, and it kind of works, but it mostly doesn't work, and yeah. it's not a $50 or $100 accessory. It's a $350 it's accessory. It's you can't use it as your as your only phone, even if you wanted to, even if you're a masochist and you wanted to. Um, I, you know, I, I fall back to, and, you know, I fall back to, you know, use your phone when you want to use it, and you're going to have to teach yourself not to have it on you during meal times, and you're going to have to teach yourself, I don't know, take a digital Sabbath or a real Sabbath if you're an Orthodox Jew, and turn your phone off for 25 hours a week. Exactly. So here's, here's my quick take. If I drink the Kool-Aid of what Palm and Verizon are serving us, I see three flaws with this problem. The first flaw is that the battery life is insanely bad. Oh, yeah, I forgot. 800 milliamp that. hour battery. I'll give you an example, okay? I woke up today pretty late because I stay up late because I have clients in Asia that I talk to late at night. So I woke up at around 8.30 and I turned the phone on at that point. It is now in my hand and I have not touched it since I unlocked it this morning. And it's at 74% idling, doing absolutely nothing in my pocket, connected to a strong Wi-Fi signal in my home. So it's going to be dead in about... Six hours if I don't touch it. If I start using it, I have literally seen the battery meter fall as I was using it. Yeah, well, it will not last for a, a long hike. And, and I'm not asking it to last case. a day. I'm just saying for 800 milliamp hours, thankfully that can be charged really fast, but 800 milliamp hours is insane. So that's my number one flaw. My second flaw, if I drink the Kool-Aid, is the price. I don't care how you like try to sell this, but it's $10 a month, right? In addition to your normal plan. Correct. And it's three fifty up front, right? Right. Like, no, no, it should be ten dollars a month and you get the phone for free. Or it should be a little more a month and you know or a little less a month, like five dollars a month, and you get it subsidized from Verizon. It's Verizon. I expect this to be subsidized, even though I hate subsidies. If I'm gonna drink the Kool-Aid, you gotta give me the Kool-Aid. I'm actually not that upset about the pricing. Because I mean, it's a beautiful phone. Like it's glass sandwich, it's metal, it's it's beautiful. But I still feel it's the hardware no. does not. It's not three hundred fifty dollars. You no. can buy Moto E for that kind of money, and it's better. That's that's true. But again, it's what problem are you solving? If it solved the problem that it intended to solve, it doesn't though. That's then the number three hundred and fifty dollars for the phone and ten dollars a so, month would be fine. Battery life is bad, prices is too high, and my third thing is it doesn't really fulfill its mission. And I mean by that, it's hard to text, it's hard to use and hard to read because it's so small. Most people are going to have a really hard time uh, because most of the kind of people who have the money to buy this are not young people um, and are busy people who were willing to be eating, to be drinking the Kool-Aid. Um, and then, you know, um, my if I don't drink the Kool-Aid, if I just take this in a vacuum and look at it as a tiny, tiny phone, 
Which, by the way, I just want to say, here's what's interesting. They sent me a Pixel 3 XL from Verizon review unit to go alongside this, because as you know, uh, Verizon does some kind of weird server trickery where your main phone number kind of forwards to the, the smaller phone. And if you use their Verizon messaging app, which, by the way, is... Nobody would ever want to use that messaging app. It's a freaking nightmare. Uh, if you use that app on both phones, it'll like kind of have a unified text messaging experience. Of course, that doesn't work with iPhones. Right. Wah, wah, wah. But, 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 okay. But just, I use Google just, Voice, and that solves the problem across iPhones, too. Right, exactly. But here's the thing, right? Here's the thing. I decided, I just got it less than 24 hours ago. Unboxed it yesterday morning around this time. I decided I have not touched the Pixel 3 XL. It's still sealed in its box, and I activated the Palm, and I'm using it as a standalone phone just for shits and giggles. And it's surprising to me how it doesn't need... I mean, clearly, it's at Verizon's level, it needs to be associated with another line, right? But I didn't have to unpack and activate and use the Pixel 3 XL they sent me to make it work. It's working. I get data, I but get calls, I get texts, and yeah, I can but, use Google's default text app, and I use it as a separate number right now, if I want. And Google Voice, I've got Google Voice on it. It works great. Yeah, but on, on the flip side, I almost wish that it did require the phone. Because there are so many things that you need to do to set well, this phone up. Well, I thought it did. That's why I'm just, so surprised. I so thought I wasn't going to be yeah. able to use it until I activated the other phone first. No, it, it is a fully self-contained phone that you go it into. Is. You pull up Google Play and you download the apps that you want because it comes with almost no apps on it, which is I know, which sort is of great. the way you would want it. Um, but I wish there was a larger screen setup. Um, I wish the text was larger when you're using it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's the I, hardest I, I part. Wish, I wish that instead of having a keyboard on it, it defaulted to voice input because you that can't help, use right? the keyboard. I know. <laughs> and, and by the way, their keyboard is optimized. It's actually way better than Google using Gboard. I made the mistake of installing Gboard on that thing. Yeah, and yeah, whoa, even smaller. But here's the thing. I agree with all what you said. I'm trying to say is that as a standalone device, I didn't realize that I could use it pretty much as a standalone. I was expecting much more of a tie-in because Verizon was involved, that there was no way I could activate this phone on its own. And clearly I can. So that's good news. So I'm going to try other SIM cards next and let you know if it works with a Verizon SIM that doesn't have that feature enabled on it. If it works with a T-Mobile or a T&T SIM, uh, it might not because a lot of Verizon phones are now so locked. They used to be unlocked, but you never know. I'll let you know. But here's what I've noticed. If I want to use a standalone phone other than battery life and text size, the other things that are really making this phone impossible to actually use as a real phone to me is the lack of volume buttons. It does have volume settings in the tray, uh, but you have to pull down the notification tray and get to the kind of quick settings to get to it. And to me, I touch those hardware volume buttons so much all the time on any device I use that I expect them to be there, and that's a big omission. It's worse than that, actually. I, I think that um, even if they put the volume buttons on there, you wouldn't ever use them because you just leave it at maximum volume, oh, it's which, so is quiet. Still, yeah. which is still it's, not loud enough. It's not loud enough, yeah. Because here's the thing. There's only one speaker, and it's the earpiece. And so, they they, like Moto, they boost it up when it's in speakerphone mode. But, ah, man. So, but you know, this is why I'm glad they sent me one. I needed to, like, I was very, I, I was very insistent on getting one from them. They were very helpful. I really appreciate, uh, um, you know, Albert at Verizon and all the prior teams to send me one because I really needed to experience this. This is really critical for me. And, and honestly, I don't think it's like, I don't, I'm not disappointed. It's pretty much what I was expecting. I just think that this needs to be revamped and reworked as something else. And there is some potential there. There's a lot of potential there, but. Those are the, th the things, battery life, text size, volume buttons, 
and the tie-in for me with another phone. Make this a primary phone. People can buy it as a second as a second phone or something. I think that's the way to go. And cheaper. 200. 200 is a sweet spot for this phone. For what it offers, that's that's true. Add volume um, for rocker to it. For what it offers today. Yeah, uh, add I, a volume rocker to it, put a bit of battery in it, and give us a better optimized UI somehow and sell it for two hundred dollars, it'll be an interesting proposition. Yeah, I mean, they, they may need to figure out what the ideal use case is, which apps should be optimized and preloaded. But I don't know that they're going to be able to show developers enough volume to no. get WhatsApp to redesign their app for something that's that small. I know. You, or maybe, you know, I think there's an entire... If you're an entrepreneur right now based in Shenzhen, I think you have a business model here of creating magnifying glasses that mount on top of this thing. <laughs> Seriously. Can you remember, remember those lenticular films that magnify that when you put things on, like just, they're just a sheet of plastic and you put them on top of something and they magnify it. That's right. I mean, mean, but the idea of this phone is that it should be too small to use and get sucked into yeah, Instagram and Yeah, but then what's the Facebook? point in making it a phone? Okay. Like if I can install any Android app, I'm going to get frustrated. They, they kind of miss that. Yeah, then, but if you don't allow me to do that, then I'm gonna miss. But the it's a Facebook chicken and egg. You need the developers on board, that, right? You know this. That that you know, my friend Miriam sent me the asking. <laughs> I want to be on a podcast, so you know there are there are pros and cons. No, I agree. I, I think that you're right. Optimizing apps would really help, but this is a chicken egg thing. Nobody's gonna do that until there's enough momentum. Blah blah blah. Right. But the I, I, you know every time I've shown the Palm phone to people, people love the it. first the first reaction is oh my god that is the this cutest is thing I want to adopt yeah. it as a pet yeah totally um, and you then want the to set, pet it and then, and then the other half is oh I am too addicted to my phone maybe this would help so I think people are going to buy it but I think there are going to be a lot of returns yeah yeah. It's a sad thing. I don't know. Uh, but there, there, there's our quick take. Um, I want to cover one more thing before we, we uh, call it a day. And uh, amongst all the news last week, uh, Surface Microsoft announced a Surface Go with LTE finally. And I just wanted to bring that up simply because I finally got a Surface Go review unit last week as well. It's been a while. I know it came out in the summer. I've been, I pestered Microsoft forever and they finally sent me one. And I have to say, even though they sent me one that had been used by another reviewer, so I wasn't doing, able to do an unboxing video because it wasn't new in the box, um, I used it to write my entire OnePlus 6T review on two in intercontinental flights, and it was phenomenal. I love that thing. It is so nice, so good, so well done. Just the right amount of performance for its size. It's really small. What do you think? Um, I have, I got one much earlier than you did. Um, I have not gotten the LTE version yet, though. Yeah, mine um, is not LTE. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hopeful, uh, because I think that LTE is part of the use case for this product. Totally, this thing needs LTE. That's why I'm so excited they finally announced the LTE version. But, but in, on its own, you've used it. What do you think? Uh, my biggest problem with it is battery life. Um, and it's it is... good for me. Um, well, then that's great, because in my <laughs> experience, it just... It, it, you know, I couldn't rely on it all day without plugging it in. And right. for a hyper portable product, to um, look the the power cord isn't that big, so it, it's not the end. No, of no, the no. World. Better than that, Avi, you can plug this thing into a USB C charger and it'll charge. You don't right. need their power brick. That's the best part. Unlike all the other Surface devices, the Go has USB Type C that you can use charging for with a power delivery. I've used it with my MacBook charger, and it's like perfect. 
So as long as you're willing to spend more money um, than the base configuration, oh, yeah. I, I really base. like the Surface Go. I think of it as a lower-priced Surface, not as an iPad competitor. Absolutely. Because if you're looking at it at the $399 configuration the, and you don't get the keyboard cover, then you've just got a tiny tablet that's running Windows. And Windows is really, you know, Windows has lots of, of uh, amazing qualities, but tablet <laughs> mode tablet is mode is not one of them no. um and it's not no. even microsoft's fault as much as microsoft's un inability to get uh, app developers to rewrite all their apps for a, a touch first paradigm so you, so it's not all that useful unless you're just using it um for media consumption and if you're just using it for media consumption buy an ipad, buy an iPad. so <laughs> a fire tablet even um yeah um so but and once you put on that keyboard now you have a now you have a mini surface laptopy thing yeah and that's kind of awesome except the base configuration just doesn't have enough oomph doesn't yep. have enough power not enough power. i agree so once you start adding the keyboard cover and upping the configuration you're starting at five six hundred dollars if yeah. you're looking for a super crazy portable surface, and then yes, then this is a great yeah. product. You'll be very happy with it. Um, you know, at that price point, you can get a, a larger full size laptop, but it's not going to be this tiny. Um, and in this case, uh, unlike Palm, tiny actually is kind of great. Works. Yeah, um, it works really well. Yeah, you know, it runs. You know, it runs regular Windows apps. Uh, you can put Quicken on there. You can put Word on there. You can. Um, you can, you know, do web development on it, um, app development. I mean, it's, it's actually a decent machine as long as you're not trying to do any sort of video editing or. Yeah. Or, yeah. I yeah, know. No, I feel the same. Like I, I, mine is a mid range config with a keyboard and a keyboard cover and it's great. That's how I used it. And my battery life was, I think, improved significantly by the fact that I was on a flight. So I had Wi-Fi turned off, brightness low. And I use it for like hours and hours on end, hours. And and I my, didn't even hit the 50% mark on the battery. So um, mind you, the only thing running was Microsoft Word. So, <laughs> you know, who knows? Yeah, I, I mean, I was I was doing, you know, I put full, you know, Outlook on there and was doing corporate email oh, yeah, and, yeah. and writing and and stuff going and on wi in the background. Connectivity, and yeah. Wi-Fi connectivity. And brightness up. And, uh, yeah. Brightness up a little bit. And I could eke out about four hours. And that's just not enough. That's not, um, but yep. everything else about it. So if you're going to keep it plugged in or if you, you know, again, like you said, uh, USB-C, you, if you've got a power brick handy to, to top it up, um, there's nothing else out there that's as usable in that form factor other than maybe an iPad pro the 11 inch. Um, but to me, what appeals to me, and the keyboard a... cover is just better. Microsoft yeah. just does a better oh God, job. So nice. Keyboard. Anyone the else? Good. Yeah. But but to me the big selling point this is a full on Intel system so you you can run like you you can run legacy stuff on it you can run you can create your own x86 executables and run them if you're a developer that's what appeals to me about it this is really just a scaled down surface um, and all the good things about a scaled down surface um, with you know with, with a few caveats in that it's it's not the least expensive thing in the world once you configure it properly um and battery life is not great and and you know, once you add lte to it which i really think is gonna really supercharge that 
mobility experience, I'm expecting battery life to drop further. So, yeah. well, maybe they'll we'll put see. a bigger battery in that one. Who knows? Oh, let's hope. I don't. I don't think they did, but. No, I don't think they did either. <laughs> Listen, we need to wrap it up. Um, I want to thank you for being on the show, but I want want to give you a chance to tell people where they can find you and follow you. Uh, you work for Global Data, an analyst firm, but obviously you probably have some personal accounts you want to share where people can follow your tweets and whatever. <laughs> yeah, I'm Greengart on Twitter. Um, and I think I'm also Greengart on Instagram. Yay! Awesome. And all and my Instagrams are uh, <laughs> all my Instagrams are just pictures of gadgets. <laughs> yeah, that's what I do mostly too. Um, yeah, no, look, follow Avi. Avi has uh, some really interesting thoughts that he shares with his audience on Twitter, and uh, we've known each other for a really long time, and I really, really always appreciate your insight. So, thanks for being on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. This was a lot of fun. I'd love to come back. Wonderful. Um, you guys know where to find me. I'm at Tankerl on Twitter. That's T-N-K-G-R-L, like the comic book character without the vowels. That's also my Instagram handle. And uh, you know that there is a companion YouTube channel to this podcast, uh, youtube.com slash Miriam my full name spelt out Miriam with a Y. And you'll find some unboxing videos like the ones we mentioned earlier, some hands-on videos, some reviews sometimes. But really, it's just to show you visually the things I talk about on the show. And then, of course, you should subscribe to the channel, like the videos, all that stuff, tell your friends. But most importantly, if you're just stumbling on this podcast and you're enjoying it, please subscribe to the podcast, mobiletechpodcast.com. And uh, you can find us on all the platforms, uh, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Slacker, TuneIn, Overcast, Pocket Cast, everywhere. Just Google or search for Mobile Tech Podcasts or go to mobiletechpodcast.com. I also want to thank our sponsor, Audible, really quick. Audible is really the place to go if you want to listen to books rather than read them. Uh, they have an incredible selection of audiobooks. Uh, pricing is really reasonable, and I love using the platform. Uh, I recommend you try it out. And if you haven't already become a customer yet, you've got a great opportunity to do so by clicking on the link in the show notes. Uh, so audibletrial.com slash mobile tech is the link audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. If you click through there, you'll actually get uh, a chance to support the podcast when you join Audible. So please consider that. And uh, thanks for, for doing it. And thanks, Audible, for being a sponsor. Avi, great to have you on the show. This was a long time in the making. I'm so glad you made it. Thank you. All right, folks, stay tuned for another show next week. And thanks for tuning in. Cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.